XX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, bringing you another special episode from our Change Makers edition. While in the past, we've strictly interviewed researchers, academics, and PhDs in the field, we'll now also be bringing you interviews with founders, coaches, authors, and anyone else who dedicates themselves to helping us change the way we live our relationships. We'll be launching the new series in the new year, but as a sneak peek, we're bringing you our very first episode this week before we sign off for the holidays. Have a great holiday. Cherish the simple pleasures, the small moments. Try to value being present over material presence. And we'll see you back here in the new year with some more exciting new announcements from your friends at BBXX. On today's show, our guest is Mike Sagoon, a men's coach and founder of The Unshakable Man an organization focused on men's total health and wellness, success, purpose, and fulfillment. Their mission states, we believe a man must be introduced to various perspectives, experiences, and ideas in order to discover new and different ways of being a man. This is how a man challenges his sense of self and becomes unshakable. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Mike. It's lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. So to start off today and this interview, which we're focusing this series around personal narrative, I'd love for you to just start off by telling our listeners a bit about your journey and how it is that you came to being on the path that you're on today, pursuing your mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I started off my career doing educational theater all over Northern California with an organization called Kaiser Permanente's Educational Theater. And this was a huge part of my development before coming into coaching. The majority of the work that we did was we went into schools and we put on these huge elaborate shows in gymnasiums and in multi-purpose rooms and cafeterias. And we would put on shows about educating young people about making healthy choices. And part of this program, it was multi-interventional. So we would go into classrooms and we teach workshops, but we would also do one-on-ones with young people. And a lot of my heart was, was coaching young people who were going through puberty or were young teens. So in high school or young adults. And after doing this for several years, it was, uh, I was in my seventh year and I had worked with a young person and they had just opened up to me and told me things that they had never told anyone. They had told me about sexual abuse, about being sexually abused, about being emotionally abused, about being neglected from their parents. And the reality was, is that like, that wasn't the first time that that had happened. And over the course of my 10 year career with educational theater, I would see literally hundreds of students, hundreds of young people who would open up to me about things that they had never told anyone. And something just clicked in my heart. And I was like, where the hell are all the adults at for these young people? They see teachers every day. They're with their caretakers. There are adults around them all the time. But 
why aren't these young people asking for help? And so I realized that a lot of adults, many adults don't know how to talk to young people. Many adults don't know how to hold space for young people to just be. And so that kind of lit something in my heart to try to find a higher purpose in my, in my life. I started poking and prodding around of like what that was. And my good friend, Leanna Lumawig, was posting some things on Facebook about her coaching Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and surfing Tuesdays and Thursdays. She was living in Bali and she was just like living her best life. And I just sent her a message and I was like, yo, Leanna what the heck are you doing? Like, tell me what you are doing because that sounds so fulfilling. And she's like, yo, we need to hop on a call. So we hopped on a call and she told me about coaching. And this was the first time that I'd ever learned that coaching can be a career. And so I started to do more research about coaching and coaching schools and methodologies. And I landed on Coaches Training Institute, CTI in San Rafael. And as I was in this program, I read a statistic. And the statistic was, one, loneliness is now an epidemic. And it is now more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And the highest demographic of suicides in America are committed by men ages 45 to 65 and mostly white. I was like, what the hell? That is crazy. And so I started doing more research on it. And more and more data was showing me that there is a problem here in America. And so I really had it in my heart to work with men. My my entire life, I always had male mentors. Uh, I always had um, an, uh, an adult male figure in my life that was there to bring me in, to hang out with me, to talk to me about my challenges. And I knew that I was an anomaly in that, that most of my friends didn't have that in their life. And even now, talking to the guy friends that I have now, I ask them about the male mentors that they had in their life. And they were like, coaches, but they weren't emotional coaches. And I had these men in my life who were very emotional with me, who allowed me to just be. And so that really clicked for me. And I kind of made it, I made it in my purpose to really figure out what men need and how I can start holding space for men to just be and to feel safe with other men. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm wondering as you're talking and kind of about those experiences of isolation or not knowing who to turn to in youths that you saw, how would you describe some of the parallels that that might be between that and between men today and, and some of the men that you've worked with? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, growing up, I um, I had a very work-oriented father who I deeply, deeply appreciate and I deeply, deeply love. But at the time, growing up, I always felt like he chose work before us. And it was totally ingrained, not only by his Filipino culture, but also by this hardworking, like meritocracy kind of culture that we have in America of like, you work hard and you get what you pay for. And like, you do everything that you can to put food on the table. And my father did that, right? My father provided a, f a roof over the head, um, food on the table, 
clothes on my back. Um, but what was missing from my father was the intimacy and the affection that I needed from a male. I got it from my mom, right? That was totally there. Mm-hmm. But I needed that strong male figure to hold me, to teach me, and to um, just be with me. And I don't think my father's ideals or his his idea of what it means to be a man is uncommon. I think many men still have that ideal of like, I need to support my family. I need to work 40 plus hours a week and I need to provide, which is really beautiful, right? Like we need that. But at the same time, what we what we start to see is like there's a lack of intimacy and affection between father and son. And that's what I was missing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of phobias attached to that, right? There's one of them is homophobia of like, if I, if I'm like this with my son, or if I'm like this with other males, what does this mean about my sexuality? What does this mean about me? And so we were never taught uh, growing up. And I think that's totally changing now. It's totally, totally changing. Mm -hmm. But we were never taught when we were growing up. My father was never taught when he was growing up that it's okay to hold, to listen, to be affectionate, to be intimate with other men. And it doesn't, it does not define your sexuality at all. When I think about the teachers in my life, the male teachers in my life, who were affectionate with me, who were intimate with me, who were there to hold conversations with me. There is this unsaid boundary of like, is this appropriate for a male teacher to have these intimate conversations with another male? The reality is, is like, I needed that male figure in my life in order for me to be where I am right now. My father wasn't providing it. So I'm really grateful for the teachers in my life, the male teachers in my life who were able to just be there for me and be with me. And and that's where I was in my life. I wanted to be that male figure for young people. I have some friends who have spoken to me about the impact that some of their coaches have had on them. Um, if they were people who played sports, because you often end up spending more time with that person than your parents are caretakers. And so I think that it gives the power to have a huge positive impact, mm-hmm. but also shape people in a negative way if that adult figure doesn't take care to really set a good example and send healthy messages. I would love for you to kind of just speak a bit more to the really the importance of having that figure and that person to go to for both younger people who might be listening, but also adults who have the opportunity to be that person for somebody else and perhaps a bit for how to initiate that and how to go about that. Yeah. You know, I think we need to create some urgency around this because as we see, like our future is in the young people's hands and there is an urgency, I feel, especially around men because men's mental health, we're starting to see that more and more men are lonely, more and more men are are isolated, more and more men have depression or anxiety disorder, um, and more and more men are committing suicide. There is a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences. And the study showed that if a young person has four or more traumas in their life, it increases their chances of having health problems. It ha- increases their chances of having mental health issues, um, unhealthy relationships, and early death. 
And by that test, that statistic, I should not be here right now. But the one thing that saved my life were those adults. And the study also showed that just one trusted adult in a young person's life can change the entire trajectory of their life. That's what those adults did for me. I had a privilege of having these adults that really cared about me and listened to me. And this is the urgency that we have so many adults and so many young people that one, adults, so many adults need help, but also all these young people need help too. And we need more adults that have the ability to help these young people out because we don't have enough resources to support these young people. And the a direct resource for these young people, our teachers, our parents, our caretakers, our um, aunts and uncles, they are grandmas and grandpas. But the work has to be done first with the adult. Mm-hmm. I think what makes it difficult for adults to be that trusted person for a young person is they haven't actually worked through their own shit themselves. They tend to project their own pain and their hurt on young people. One of the, the unhealthiest things and the least productive things that you can do for a young person is if they are telling you what's going on with their life, you cut them off and you say, actually, I know exactly what you're going through because I went through that and this is what I'm doing. This is what I did instead. That is like one of the most unproductive things that you can do because what you're telling the kid is you're essentially saying your story is not that important to me and this is how you fix it. It's invalidating it. Absolutely. And when we can be that trusted adult, the first things that we need to do is just like check what we're projecting, check ourselves and notice what we feel when this young person is opening up to us. What is coming up for us? Because if they're coming up to us with traumas, that might trigger some of our own traumas as well. And we as adults have to learn how to modulate that, how to how to respond to that and not project that trauma back to that young person. And I think the greatest gifts that you can give anyone, but the greatest gift that you could give a young person is just listening and responding with love and compassion, non-judgment and kindness, and letting that young person know that you are there with them and that you are listening to them. If we feel discomfort, we we show the discomfort. I see this happen often yeah. in conversations when when I want to get vulnerable with someone and I open up to them, I immediately I could tell like their body language shifts or they um or they like turn another direction or they change the topic or they say, Oh, you're okay or you're fine. And that's not what I'm asking mm-hmm. for. And that's also another thing that that can be unproductive with the young person is like telling them you'll be okay. You'll be fine. It's not that bad. And so kind of how can we take that? Because I think we can all identify with having been young and that it wasn't necessarily the easiest. It was probably a confusing and and lonely time for us all at some point. And so being able to identify with that, but instead of negating it and saying you'll get past it, really taking the time and space to empathize Mm -hmm. and open up and using tools such as tell me more. Mm -hmm which I read about how just something as simple as that, you know, has no judgment and just gives them the floor and helps you slowly and also very kind of carefully and not in a threatening way at all, really dive deeper into it and try and understand the the level of why behind everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that can be important. And as you mentioned that some of the adults haven't gone through some of their own stuff when you were talking about your dad earlier, a phenomenon that 
I find really fascinating that I have named, I'm not sure if it has another name, compounding daddy issues. (laughs) I once remember Hmm. reading and somebody was talking and they said, yeah, you know, everybody has daddy issues, but think of your dad's daddy Mm -hmm. issues and your dad's dad's daddy Mm -hmm. issues and how far back Mm -hmm. these daddy issues go and there are so many levels and the filter through which you are seeing stuff and absorbing stuff and the ability to understand where it's coming from and that the person who is shaping you perhaps in a not so positive or open way, it's because of the same thing that they went through. So how can we better understand that and kind of create change accordingly? Or at least empathize with that that person who it's easy to to resent in some ways. Right. You know, empathy and compassion are one of my highest values. Empathy is putting yourself into another person's shoes and trying to feel how they feel. And compassion is basically understanding that we all struggle. Like you struggle like I struggle and it's okay. And through that, I've found forgiveness for my father, for both my parents. My father was doing his best. And I've had to really do a lot of work around that. Growing up, I was always like, is my dad doing his best? Like, it seems like he doesn't give a fuck about me. Like, is he, does he care about me? But I've really had to observe that story that I've told myself for decades, not just, not just a few years, but literally decades of me telling myself that story. But also not only that, but like my mom also strengthening that story by her own stories in her head about my father. So I really had to dismantle the storyline that I had about my father and learn how to forgive him. And uh, I recently went to the Philippines to go visit my father. My dad lives in the Philippines most of the time. And I was out there and this was, I'm 32 years old. And this was the very first time that I've spent more than a day with him, just he and I, and I was going to be with him for a week and a half. When I made that decision, it was really uncomfortable for me. And I felt a ton of resistance, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to better understand my father. I wanted to like really look at the stories that I was telling myself and say like, is this true? Like, is this really true about my dad? Or is he just a flawed human just like I am? Right. Or, and is he just a flawed human just like my grandpa was and his, his father? So, and and everyone on earth. Right. (laughs) And, And guess what? He was flawed as fuck. And I'm still flawed as fuck, you know? But the the beautiful thing is that I went over there and I went with the intention of understanding my father so I could better understand myself. I went there and I spent a week and a half with him and uh, it was beautiful. We had great conversations and I got to see myself in my father. I got to see the, the challenging parts of myself, the things that I, I try to hide, the judgments that I have about myself. I got to see all the, the ugly and the like, the impatient and the, um, the mean and rude and arrogant side of me that's not, that I need to work on. But I also got to see the side of me and my father that is loving and caring and charismatic and loves to entertain and take care of people. And I saw the generous 
side of myself and my father. And, and it was just a really beautiful reflection. The, the entire trip felt like a mirror that was put in front of me. And I got to see my dad and I got to look at all the things and be like, oh crap. Yeah. I'm totally working on that still. <laughs> like, oh my, my dad has, look at his anger right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I do the same exact thing. And yeah. I think for people who are curious about doing their own work, about seeing their ticks, about seeing what their pet peeves are or their patterns and their habits, hang out with your mom and dad. <laughs> like, look at what they do or think about what how their reaction was to certain things when you were growing up or how they still react to things and be honest like is that who you are today what what i'm learning right now and what i'm working on right now is when i feel anger towards my husband um, when he does something that like hurts me or annoys me and I, I, I get angry and rage comes out and that rage gets directed at my husband. I'm learning that that rage is actually not towards my husband, but I'm projecting that rage because I learned that from my parents. I'm actually projecting, I'm actually aiming that rage at my parents because of how they taught me how to respond to whatever my husband is doing. It's not my husband's fault. He didn't do anything. What I have learned from my parents is if an expectation isn't met by my standards, I get angry and it's automatically your fault. And then rage comes out. And that's unfair for my partner. That's unfair for Jerry. Um, and so I'm learning to just step back and say, where is this anger being directed at and what is this anger what is this anger you were speaking about and even you know science and psychology shows how much our past experiences be it with our family or not or things we were exposed to in culture and the media we absorb so much from the time that we are little and learn so much without even it actually even being registered as learning. Mm -hmm. And so being able to look back and understand how our reactions to the present are actually shaped by those experiences and those influences in the past is so incredibly important. And, and understanding your flaws is one of the most important parts of understanding yourself and not trying to be perfect and, you know, not necessarily trying to erase those flaws. Some of them, some of them maybe, but some of those are ingrained in us. It's learning how to navigate them and acknowledge And accept them. it. Yeah. And to work at improving them, but to work at also adjusting our relationships and expectations um, and thought processes accordingly so that despite those flaws, we can still form deeper connections with other people right. as a result of hashtag BVXX. Uh, better understanding ourselves exactly as you right. said. Right. You know, I I work with men who have so many identity issues around what it means to be a man. And I think what's I think a lot of that is what you're talking about is like these compounding daddy issues that are conflicted with how we are evolving with as a man today. Does that make sense? 
So yeah. like we have these like compound daddy issues, right? Of like, okay, cool. This is what my father taught me. This is what it means to be a man. Mm-hmm. But now we're moving towards this evolving definition of what it means to be a man. Right. And there's internal conflict of like, well, then what is, what is it to me? What is it to me to be a man? Because I grew up learning and understanding that this is what it meant. Right. But now everyone is, ex- is saying that this is what it means to be a man. And this is actually what my partner wants from me. So what is it? What, what is this? And it's like this identity of like, what, who am I now? <laughs> yeah. Kind of this cognitive. Dissonance. Yes. One of my questions for you was, should there be a definition of what it means to be a man? And what would your definition be? If so, hmm. Hmm. That's a great Mm. question. (sighs) I need to sit with that for a moment here. That is a really great question. Yeah. Um, There's a part two of the question. Yeah. You know, my immediate response is, I think it's important for us to identify with something you know, you know, there's, there's a gender spectrum and everyone in the gender spectrum wants to have a pronoun or they want to have some kind of way that defines who they are or, or expresses who they are. And so, like, I think it is important for men to really own that. Yes, I am a man. I am, this is how I identify. On the other side of that, which is where I'm conflicted, is this this question, what what does it mean to be a man is such a like it's such a trigger question nowadays. Because what it means to be a man is just you are just human. Right? Right. So the part two of my question is how would it be different than the definition of what it means to Right. And, and there isn't (laughs) right. Like that for me, like there isn't any difference in that. We could talk about masculine, feminine qualities, all this. It's personal. It's the role model. It's being able to have a specific and more personalized role model. If I could see what you mean. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, growing up, I wanted, I wanted to see and be with another person that identifies with me, that I could identify with. Mm-hmm. So most of my mentors growing up were men of color, and I totally latched on to those men. And they were so gracious enough to bring me under their wings. But also, like I think about like what my life was like watching TV, and I never saw men of color. We sometimes saw black people or Latino people on on television, but I never saw a Filipino person. And if I saw a Filipino person, they were either playing a Latino or a Chinese person. And so like, yes, like coming back to owning that identity can help serve another person to connect with you. It might be interesting even to have those different labels or pronouns or whatnot on it, yet to have the same definition behind it. Mm -hmm. Could be an interesting right, like like whatever you identify with, the yeah. definition is human. Yeah. <laughs> the BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate, is produced by Sasha Laurie in Berkeley, California. Dialogue, narrative, and content crafting by Amy Soper. Audio editing, good music vibes, and sound mixing, Daniel Herrera. 
You can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh